The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome inside the studio. Carl Martino, Robbie Masto uh, joining me this morning. Thank you for waking up so early. If you've actually woken up, some people many <laughs> have just stayed up. Um, welcome to 2020. We are going to start by talking about David Moyes. He's come out very much fighting Robbie Musto with this mm. appointment. Just want to give you a couple of quotes from him. He says, at this time, I'm going to give them, West Ham, no choice. They will always want to renew my contract. I'm going to make it impossible. He says, I think I have the biggest win rate compared to a certain amount of other managers and that is what I do I win quite confident what do you make of it (laughs) well I'm not sure he needed to to say things like that he also said by the way that that the squad is better than the last time that he took over so there's a lot of pressure he's put on himself it must come from a place where he feels that a lot of fans are not particularly thrilled with this appointment um you know we know what's going to happen with the football side of things but I see it as the right appointment Rebecca and I know maybe a lot of West Ham fans are, are not particularly thrilled with it But he's going to be pragmatic. The squad right now is made up of a lot of attacking flair players. And when it's going well for West Ham and Manuel Pellegrini at times last season, um, then it looks really, really good. But when it doesn't go well or a few players are out of form, then that expansive football is super vulnerable defensively. And that's what we've seen. So I think it's what the team needs. He will absolutely go in there and, and have a much more of a rigid structure, shape, compact, a bit more direct on the football, that's what they're going to get. But it worked last time, and I think it's the right call this time. What's the first thing he needs to change, Kyle? Um, well, they'll focus on a defensive, pragmatic team. And, and Robbie highlighted a lot of the reasons that, for me, it makes sense, but it is a, a, a serious shift and, and a pivot from a club that had ambition that wasn't about pragmatism. It, it was about buying talent that could play a certain way and go get a manager in Pellegrini that's proven to do it. Now, we saw some of that on the positive side, now Moyes has to bring it back to, you know, it's interesting. He has backed himself a little bit, but so has Noble and others kind of saying, and, and I remember reading it the other day where, where Mark Noble and I took a couple lines out of it. We need to win football matches. However, that comes at the minute. I'll take that. So it, it's Noble saying, and you love when your captain comes out and supports you, saying, listen, forget how we've been playing, what we've been trying to do. We're in a relegation fight. And he's been there long enough to say, we got to back this guy, even though it's short-termism they got to get results right now. An 18-month contract, what does that say to you, Robbie? Well, it says to me that the, the Moyes has said, you know what, I want longer um, and I want more money if you get rid of me in the summer because that's what it smacks off of me. Six months gets them to the summer, uh, they stay up, and if they still want to go in a different direction, then he's owed another 12 months of money and the club are like, OK. So that, that's what that's all about, in my opinion. Do you think the club are going to 
just take it to the end of the season then. Well, well if I'm looking ahead, yeah, if I'm looking ahead, I'm seeing them getting them out of, tr- out of trouble, not great football, and they'll want to go in a different direction, like they said last time, and they'll get a year's money instead of not much more. Yeah, it buys them time to find a manager maybe yeah. that they do want, and if they can't, then we'll see what happens. It's an expensive business, that's for certain. Robbie, I know how impressed you've been by Graham Potter. Talk us through the reasons why, based on that 90 minutes. I just thought that was excellent from a coach. <clears throat> Changed his system twice, was, was brave in the second half, went to a 4-4-2, took the risk that he could get caught in a counter-attack. The energy, the spirit. I mean, I just thought it was excellent. Yes, we can talk about Chelsea. They didn't secure the ball well enough. They didn't possess it to defend. They weren't strong enough to defend. It, just in the second half there, Brighton had 10 shots, four on target. Shows you how good Brighton were and how Chelsea struggled defensively in all aspects in the second half. Well, Graham, well, as you say, Graham Potter will be the most satisfied. Frank Lampard, you get the sense, won't be very happy today. What at the halfway stage is his biggest issue at Chelsea? Uh, inconsistency. And it comes with young players. We've talked about... Um, Guys he believes in and guys that he trusts and plenty of players that are battling for positions. But, you know, Pulisic makes his way back into the lineup, struggling with a hamstring injury, doesn't perform well today. hudson Adoy comes on, doesn't really bring a spark. And it's more that um, what he wanted at the beginning of the year, and we sat down with him when we were over in London and we were talking about the season and what he wanted to create. And even in his interview before the game, intensity to win the ball up high, didn't really do that today and, and didn't have an answer for. At halftime, he probably sh- shifted things around to deal with a 4-3-3. And then he gets shown a 4-4. Or two, and they just never really adjusted and gotten, in, the, gotten into the game. They're not a great team right now. They're, they're sat, still sat in fourth place. We've talked about Chelsea from the start of the season that, that they might get in the top four, they might not. They aren't a brilliant team, well, so we can't expect moments. them. They're a team of moments, yeah. and they just don't last long enough Yeah, yet. But, but for the team of moments, they are where they are, around fourth spot. If, if they had better players in every position, then they'd be a lot better up, but they haven't. Mm-hmm. So they are what they are, and this is kind of, I, I guess, what you'd expect from Chelsea this season. Let's take you back then to the Etihad, to our commentary team, Andy Hinchcliffe alongside Clive Tilsley. Gabriel Jesus, great day for him, chaps. It is indeed, and Manchester City know that one day they're going to have to try to replace Sergio Aguero, if that's possible. Is Gabriel Jesus at 22 now emerging as the answer to that Um, problem? Yeah, unless they sign somebody, absolutely he is. His, His goals really underlined what an incredibly mature player he is for, for a 22-year-old. His positioning, his finishing, but he did have the opportunity to maybe completely kill the game off. He had two or three other good ch- opportunities, a headed chance, a shot that hit the post, where really he could have had four and the game would have been very comfortable for, for Manchester City. So he's still a work in progress. He's a very talented striker. He's not a like-for-like replacement for Sergio Aguero, but he's certainly on the path to being that. And at the other end of the field, we've seen Fernandinho give a demonstration of the art of defending tonight. <laughs> he is a midfield player yes. still. Yes. I mean, can they afford to lose him? He's out of contract at the end of the season. It's his versatility as well. We mentioned it during commentary. He can step into midfield and play as that holding midfielder, but because needs must with the injuries to, to centre-halves, he's had to step in and he was fabulous today. I think he was um, City's standout individual today. So he is such an important player. His age is immaterial. He is, he is a key player in the team and they need to keep him. I mean, Vincent Company is still playing for Anderlecht as a player-manager. Mm-hmm. Are Manchester City in danger of making a, the same mistake again? A- absolutely. Again, as I say, it's not about his age. It's about his performances and about his, his, his physical um, setup as well. He's ve- very strong. He's very quick, very experienced, reads the game well. He's a player. It's a young City team as well in many ways. Lots of young players in that team. They need the experience that, that players like Fernandinho can bring. We've had the advice of a former Manchester City and Everton player, and we still don't know who he supports, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Neutral, I know it. Mr. Neutral, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Robbie Musto, dare I say, New Year? <laughs> New Arsenal. Arsenal. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. 
good Arsenal, better Arsenal, more structured Arsenal, better shape Arsenal. Lee always talks about it, and I couldn't agree more. There's a better shape with the team. There's more effort with the team. This game is won in the first half because their football is better than United's, and United were awful without the ball. Second half, United had more possession, but Arsenal had a good shape. So that possession never really materialised. What did they get? Two shots on target, United in the second half. So Arsenal without the ball were much better than United in the first half without it. And that's why they won the game. You agree, Carl? Yeah, and um, you can't... Listen, we want to break down tactics and formations and, and how Pepe as a new signing is playing and all that. You can't underestimate the body language of the players. And, and there's so much information in it. All, all the sort of metadata about how players are reacting to each other rather than being individuals. I mean, juxtaposed to images of fans booing off Shaka and Mesut Ozil punting his socks or his gloves the other day. There, there, was, there was a unified, synchronized uh, uh, commitment to perform and execute a game plan. And the game plan was clear, first half to second half. And we haven't seen an Arsenal in a long time that, that is satisfied to be without the ball at home and committed to seeing out a result. So, I'm, I, listen, this isn't going to be a corner turn. The first thing he said when he got there, Arteta, is something's wrong culturally that i got to get to the root of. And we saw little signs that he's getting there. Yeah, They look like a team. They look like a team, mm. both with, with, the, with the ball in the first half and without the ball. United didn't look like a team in the first half. Now, they look a little tired coming off the field of play there. I think we all expected big celebration. They look so exhausted that they maybe didn't have the stomach to do that. But that's okay. That's how you should be. Particularly at home, particularly in a bad run. Work your socks off with good organisation. They've got good players and totally deserve the three points. New Arsenal. <laughs> when was the last time you've seen Mesut Ozil, oh, by the way, go over and hug a manager yeah, like smile. that? And smile. I mean, yeah. see, little things like that. He's got to build on those and keep this level high. Okay. Well, Lee, the Emirates was a very positive place to be. It was party time on New Year's <laughs> Day at the start of this new decade. Mikel Arteta's only had three games in charge. There's been a clear improvement, the first half against Chelsea, and this result today. Where has he put it right? Well, I think he's, he's created uh, his own culture straight away, which he said he had to change when he came to the club. He, was trying to, he said he wanted to try and work out what was wrong off the pitch, and I think... The training is a big part of that, and I think he's he's gone in, he's put his his methods in play, um, and he's trying to trying to work out the dressing room as well. There's an intensity in both games that we've seen. There's a camaraderie, there's a togetherness, there's an organisation, Arlo, and I think that's been the big thing. Without the ball, the organisation's been all over the place mm. for two or three years for my for, for me, and they, they've got that right in the space of a short period of time. It's not going to last forever. They've got to keep on it, keep on it day after day in training and then you'll start to see um, the rewards. We've already seen a, a couple of performances now that the fans have reacted to in a positive way and that's what he's got to get. He's got to get the, the fans behind them. The fans behind Xhaka all of a sudden mm -hmm. because they're seeing something that they really like. So lots of positives, lots of work to be done but as far as his start to his reign, he's got his win under his belt, absolutely Keep going, doing that, and you've got a chance. The Mikel Arteta reign is well underway. A win in his third game as manager of Arsenal, and they've beaten Manchester United. How does it feel to have that first win as a manager? Great. The feeling is uh, incredible. I'm so happy and proud of, of the players and the performance that they put in today. Did the, the first half in particular, did everything go as you expected? That was your game plan in action? Yes, it was much better, <laughs> much better the first half than the second. Everything we tried to, to do and we planned to, to do against them worked really, really well. I think we had enough chances to put the game to bed, 
much earlier and in the second half we knew that physically we were going to drop at the moment we are not ready to maintain that level of intensity through 90 minutes but the spirit, the commitment and the desire that the boys are playing at the moment is, is terrific. And you've been talking about trying to reconnect with the fans, of course a win does that but you could feel the, the, the enthusiasm and the joy. Absolutely, right from the start I could feel it, uh, when I went out there I could feel straight away a different atmosphere. Thank you so much to them because we really need them. Uh, these players are going to play much better when they feel the support behind them, the energy, and and we are to entertain them here. So hopefully we give them something to be proud of today. And David Luiz and Socrates have been in here talking about their belief in the system and in the way you've improved the tactics and the energy and the intensity and also the fitness long term. This is my job, that's why it, uh, they brought me here and that's what I'm trying to do. I try to help them as much as possible, give them clear information, give them the right structure for them to feel comfortable and, and make more good decisions on that pitch. But after they have to believe on them and they have to follow me and I'm so happy that they're doing that at the moment. And it's important to get that first win, is it? Just to build confidence, to get the momentum going. Absolutely, because I think the performances were getting better and better, but we didn't win any games yet in the, last, in the first two, so I was there desperate for that and I'm so pleased. So it's a happy new year today, definitely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oli, disappointing first half performance. Arsenal really won the game in that period. Yeah, they, they scored. Uh, we started off decent the first five, six minutes, then we didn't uh, cap- uh, capitalise on uh, the two or three good counter-attacks we had. We weren't decisive enough and then uh, they played really well. I, I felt uh, they were really sharp. They were brighter than us, in uh, both on the ball. But then, when they lost it, they won it back. They were uh, they were quick. So we took one or two touches too many, and we gave them a chance to to win the ball back off us. Obviously, you played a lot of games in a lot of in, in a short period of time. But so is everybody. So still disappointing when you kind of feel you're being out fought a little bit. Yeah. Well, first half we were. <laughs> too slow to things and too slow on the ball but then that's credit to them because I thought Arsenal played really well and it was a game with high quality uh, both on and off the ball I thought they were excellent uh, which made it hard for us some tired heads maybe uh, first half we started the game not well enough second half we responded and we put the, them under pressure but we couldn't get a goal um, had you got a goal, there, there was still an edginess around the stadium. You always felt if you'd got one, it might have happened for you. Yeah, uh, but then uh, we didn't. So uh, you can talk about that all day long. We we kept going. We uh, pushed them back, created half decent chances, but the quality in the last uh, the finish or the, uh, the last cross wasn't good enough. Sayer Kalasinats in the first half was getting all kinds of joy down the left hand side. Did you have to make that change to try and? contain him a little bit you brought on Mason and, and, and took off Dan James yeah, well they scored a goal off a uh, good run by him we were trying to play offside in there maybe we shouldn't uh, just it's marginal and uh, yeah he played well uh, the boy uh, and uh, he came off uh, probably tired because uh, mm. I think we uh, it was a high quality game no Pogba, I know you explained prior to the game yeah. that he's got a recurrence of an injury. Any, any prognosis on how long that might take? No, I don't know. Three, four weeks maybe, I don't know. So let's see. Uh, he's been advised to, uh, to have an operation uh, by, uh, by his people and he'll probably, uh, probably do that. Interesting line, Paul Pogba advised by his people 
to have an operation. We'll get to Paul Pogba in just a second. Um, Carl, do you think, you mentioned their tired heads. Do you think that today was a result of just the amount of fixtures they've played, or do you think it's a deeper problem with United's inconsistency? Well, it's, it's a deeper problem because <laughs> a lot, all the teams are suffering with the same crowded fixture list. So it's, it's inexplicable that one team can find the focus and find the intensity and, and their squad can't, especially when it's a lot of young kids that are looking for opportunities. He has rotated the side a little bit. McTominay's hurt. Matic get, gets an opportunity. So I don't buy that excuse, and I think he's got to be careful to... to you know, sometimes you want to defend your side, and that's the tough part about it being a manager. You have to know when to protect them and behind the closed doors say not good enough and when to, to put the message out there. The, the trouble is we all saw the levels weren't, weren't good enough. And, um, you know, I, I, I worry that we keep seeing these fits and starts. We, we don't see a team where I think the, the tired heads is more – I don't really know who they are, and I'm not really sure they understand who they are yet. I'll tell you what I think they're lacking is a leader. We know that this team can play great attacking football. We know this team, in certain games, can be defensively strong, work hard and do great. When I played United, it was a great United team, they had leaders. And when we played them one game, I kind of sensed they weren't at it. We were winning the game 1-0, and the, the, the tempo for them wasn't good. I'm like, wow, this is good. Roy Keane went around every player, pretty much, and demanded more from them. And they and they improved and they beat us. If if you haven't got a player in that team, and great teams have leaders, then you sense then somebody would have sensed out there that this isn't very good. This we're a bit off today. We're a bit tired. We're a bit whatever. And a leader gets you going, so you don't concede and you keep working hard, even though you don't feel great. Well, in a way, it was what Arsenal <clears throat> was today. And and listen, they haven't been it enough consistently. Where I saw David Luiz go over to, to Saka when he made a tackle late on in the game, give him a big pat on the back. They were sort of screaming at people to clear the ball. Lacazette. Everyone was vocal. Everyone kind of joined in that responsibility. When, when, when they're going well, exactly. But you it hasn't... need it. You need it when you're not going well. And that, those players. And that's where the Pogba thing becomes a well, real problem. Well, is he problem. the leader? Is he well, so, I, I, this, I, I, we're reading into this. We don't know. That line, of all the lines, was the most worrying. For him to push the ownership of a serious injury to their, their biggest and most talented player out of their camp and throw it to, their, to his agents, his people... That, that, that screams, he's not committed to this and we're not, we're not on the same page anymore, to me. And, and that was a worrying line from the manager about Pogba. You're right. I mean, we don't, he might have misspoke or whatever, but, but take control of your player. You're paying them a fortune. Your people, your doctors should get the right opinions of whether your player needs surgery or what's the best advice for him. Not somebody else's people to decide what medical treatment he gets. That's stunning to me. If, if that's what he means well, and he didn't miss, miss And if you want anyway. Pogba to stay. Listen, Pogba looked, he was moving gingerly. He didn't look himself in the, the game the other day. You could tell he's coming back from an injury. So whether this is right or wrong... To, to your point, I back you up to say, even if it's not his decision, so, sort of own it and say, if we want this guy back on track, what do you want? You, you want to get a scope? You want to clean your ankle up? We're behind you. We just need you with us. When he said something like that, it's kind of punted the, the, the responsibility into Pogba's camp. And it's January. And they've said in the past they want to move. And, you know, Raiola has talked all, all about getting his player moved. I, I just worry if they lose Pogba, and some say they have to lose Pogba to move forward. There's just not a lot of quality, and there are aging players in the very heart of this team that has youth all around it. It's just going to be a really tough rebuild. Yeah, I mean, Raiola, of course, Paul Pogba's agent, and if he does move, he may not move this January if he's out for three or four weeks with what sounds from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer like an operation which he is asked to have from the people of Paul Pogba. Uh, Pep, your thoughts on the first one of the year? Yeah, we play, we play great. So, 
Yeah, we play great. I'm so delighted for the guys. For this period, it's so tough, and the way we react after in 80 more than 80 minutes, then the men against Wolves and against Sheffield and Everton, we did really, really well. So, yeah, we three more points and to be close to Leicester. What pleased you the most? That that mentality and that reaction. So normally, when a team won, uh, what these guys have won in the last uh, two seasons, uh, and you are far, far away for the. For the first in the position, the people give up. You have a lot of experience of that, and we never give up. And we can win, we can lose, but the team is always there. And that is when I'm most satisfied, satisfied the most, by far. Well, Carlo, what are your thoughts? You, you nearly got there. Yeah, we were close until the end, but uh, honestly, um, City played uh, a really good game. I think uh, we stayed only in the game until the end, but we could do better about all the first half. So I'm not so happy about the first half. The spirit, second half was better. We came back in the game. We were close, but at the end, Man City deserved to win. They, are, they were better than us. Well, it's two wins and a defeat now for Carlo Ancelotti at Everton. Carl, what do you think the short-term fixes are that he needs to implement? Well, I think I think we we've seen some of them. Uh, uh, he's right. He, they weren't outplayed by Manchester City, but they made it very difficult for Manchester City. And Robbie talked a lot before the game about a, a system. And I, I wouldn't marry Ancelotti to a system. Uh, he's proved, and you know, being a player under Rigo Sacchi and his history, he's okay changing his tactics. But what he's trying to do is make them defensively stable, but, but capable of coming out of that based on the competition, based on who they're playing on the weekend, and be free flowing and kind of. He's, he's in this weird in-between gear of Duncan Ferguson, you know, sort of made them a, an old-school, very direct, very 4-4-2 team. And, and instead of just trying to rip everything up overnight and, and put Ancelotti's system in, he's just kind of slowly introducing some of the ideas. And to be honest, I'm kind of impressed with how quickly they're picking it up. But I, I still get the sense, whether it's Moise Keane starting and not, um, you know, where Charleston, does he play him wide? Does he play him up top? He's still tinkering to kind of figure out. He knows how he wants to play. I just, I, I don't think he knows exactly what these ingredients are like with the players that aren't his, and he's got to figure out what he wants to do about that. From Manchester City's perspective, Robbie, would I be right in saying they just keep top four place in the Premier League bubbling away, win the FA Cup, win the League Cup, go as far as they can in, mm-hmm. the, in the Champions League, although they've got Real Madrid next up in the round of 16, and that will constitute... Decent season. Yeah, I think so. I think it's hard to win the Premier League three times on the trot. Um, very difficult. What the, the City fans don't want to see is, is, is the effort dropping too much in the Premier League, as if it's obvious that they don't feel they can get back into it. That's not good. That's not good for the season ticket holders, for anybody. So I understand the changes today with all the games coming up. They've got cup games coming up, important cup games, so I get that. Um, but it's still a great side, you know. still a great team to watch. Um, they weren't great in the first half, I didn't think. Second half was much better. Jesus is exciting for me. I, you know, I believe in him. The two injuries to Kane and Ndombele, what can you tell us about what the situation is there? Ndombele, I don't know... Because I arrived uh, six weeks ago, but I, I, I imagine that this is the tenth injury of uh, of the season. Are they big? Are they small? I don't know. I just know that uh, they stop him to play. They don't give him continuity. He had a, a great match against uh, against Norwich. Um, he had uh, three days in between matches. We did uh, good recovery with with everybody. He was fine to play. Then uh, I don't know if it was. 
something as a consequence of uh, the first bad uh, tackle that he, he got or no. But uh, once more, he's, he's, he's out again. And uh, Harry, you know, he plays every minute, he plays all the time, so sometimes he breaks. And um, was something in the hamstring? Is it big? Is it small? I don't know. But hamstring is an hamstring, and uh, for sure it will be out. You were given a yellow card. What happened when you went over to the Southampton bench? I deserved the, the, the yellow card because I was rude, but I was rude with an idiot. Uh, so, but I clearly deserved the red card. I was rude. Can you expand what was said? No, I was rude. I basically I I had bad words with uh, with the guy. Well, congratulations! You don't want to take away from your great performance and result, but one talking point coming out of the game is what led to Jose Mourinho's yellow card. From your perspective, what what happened? I cannot tell anything about this. I'm so concentrating on my game. I only look what what I can or how I can teach my players. Uh, if you ask me something, what happens behind me, I don't know it really because I'm so focused on my on my team. I and he apologised, and he said he was rude to an idiot. I, uh, I, and he said he, he apologised. He apologised for being rude, and said he was only rude because of being rude to an idiot. Was it? Uh, was I, I, have, really I, haven't, I haven't heard anything. I, I don't want to say anything to that, because um, I'm, I have a very, very high opinion about this manager. He did so, so much uh, uh, for the football in, in his entire managing career, and to win against his team today is for me the, the only thing that is really interesting me today uh, because he's, it's not easy to, to, to play against such a strong side and, and uh, I think we, we should more speak about uh, what my team did today and uh, this is more what I am concentrating on. I, I think in this moment the referees are not the referees. Uh, I think the VAR should change the name. Because video assistant referee, that's not true. Should be VR, video referee, because they are the referees. And that is um, is strange because you see the referees on the pitch, and they are not the referees. They are the assistant referees, and uh, the other guys in in the office, they are the ones that. Well, there certainly was a lot of VAR during the game, or VR, as Jose Mourinho, (laughs) Robbie, now wants to call them video referees because, quote, they are the referees. Does he have a point? It's it's difficult. I mean, they are assistant referees. They're there to assist the referee. They suggest things to the referee. So he's not right. He's frustrated. One of his defenders could have had a handball against him that went his way. So it's going to be swings and roundabouts. I get the frustration. But let's not cloud the issue here. This isn't going the way that he expects. To be fair, I expected after a good start, I thought, you know what, he's going to sort out their defensive issues and they've got enough attacking flair and counter-attacking speed to win games. He hasn't fixed them defensively. It's 11, 11 games and is in that all enough time? one clean sheet. Is that sheet. enough time to fix yeah, defensively? Yeah, to help it, absolutely, to see signs. Now, maybe, to be fair to him, Carl, that he's saying, you know what, I don't want to change this too much. I don't want to turn them into a defensive kind of team. I'll let them play. And he's let them play, but it's, the issues haven't gone away. And defensively, again, Alderweireld has just on a new contract. He was a really, really good defender. Had a bad day today, got beat a couple of times. So, 
When, when are we going to start to see some real changes and, and for Spurs to look like a Jose team that some people might not like, but I think he feels it's got to come to get some clean sheets? Well, I mean, here's where it gets really worrying is that um, we said when he took the job, if he's different, if he's changed, then this is a great match. I mean, this, this could be something special. We're seeing a lot of signs that maybe he hasn't, you know, like, like going over to the to, to the one of the assistants coach. in Southampton, and, and it's just beneath him, you know. And it's like I don't, I can't believe he would get irritated to that level after all he's done in his career. What he's irritated about is his team weren't performing well, and he and he was helpless to to change it. And now he's got Harry Kane out, and, and Spurs have have never proved that they're capable of being. A team that can go a long stretch without Harry Kane. Now they, when Sun's healthy or others are healthy, they can find a, a good replacement. But now he's got Christian Eriksen's going to sign a deal probably and announce it to go abroad uh, in the next couple of weeks. There, there's a compounding problem of every time they play a decent team, they're starting to lose those games. Do we hear the opening of a checkbook? <laughs> just thinking the same of thing. Of course, the opening of some money. He's good. Daniel Levy, you've got to get that checkbook out. <laughs> We're going to talk plenty, don't worry, about Liverpool and the build-up and after the game today. So we thought we'd start the show by discussing, as Jim was talking about there, Chris Wilder and Sheffield United. Now, how about this photo on the Sheffield United Twitter account? This was this morning in what you may know was Stanley Park. Now, that's the giant park that sits between Anfield that you can see in the horizon of that photo and Goodison Park, Everton's home ground. It's a very famous park. It's synonymous with football. And there they were this morning, Chris Wilder, side, a bunch of multi-millionaires playing and, and <laughs> training on a public park. This, to me, would I be right, has the fingerprints of Chris Wilder all over. It's fascinating there in the shadow of Anfield. I, I guess it's inspiring to be there. I'm sure the session wasn't a technical session, um, but I think a good idea. And I, was, I once read Chris Wilder described as an old-school manager with new ideas, and I think that's a really good way of describing him as a coach. Old school part is motivation. He's very humble. He demands effort from every single team. He's, he sort of says all the right things that you'd expect of a, of, a, of a real solid British manager. But with new ideas, those overlapping centre-backs that he's brought from the Championship into the Premier League, he is doing it. A lot of people thought he wouldn't bring that to this league, but he still does it whenever he's got the opportunity. And the team that he's pulled together, as Jim said, no star players. But I tell you what, to be in the top eight where they are right now, there's good players in there. There's good footballers there that are showing they're good players with Three new strikers that were bought in the summer, and that manager and that Bramwell Lane atmosphere means they're having a great season so Just far. Just a quick line, Robbie. Had a foreign manager brought in over, overlapping centre backs, do we think we, they'd have had much more credit in a Probably. There'd yeah. be an Amazon documentary about it right now. <laughs> there would be. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe it's, it's because. Never, we've never seen it before. No. So that's, that's credit to Chris Wilder, and it's working, it works great. Other than that, what else is their identity for you, Sheffield United? <laughs> um. I just think in a consistency of performance and not, and not succumbing to two things, spending a, a big amount of money, look at Aston Villa this season or Fulham last year, and thinking that's what gets you up, or becoming a different team once you get into the Premier League and being overwhelmed by the challenge. And I, I just think of you, we can list a lot of the tactical side of it, and we do a lot now with, with Pep and now Conte and... And Klopp, there's, there's lots of tactical minds trying to do things on the field, but it's all predicated on your ability to get performances, consistent performances out of a group. A mm -hmm. And I think he's led by example, and I honestly think he can buck the trend a little bit of this English managers have an old-fashioned way. I think the way he's playing and, and how his team's performing, it, it has to move the paradigm a little bit because he's, he's proven he has the nous of European managers and should be lauded for that. The, the, the fascinating part is, if he continues this season, 
does he stay at the football club? It probably does. Is there going to be a point when this guy is going to be demanded or wanted from other clubs, the, uh, you know, the bigger clubs in the Premier League? And that's where, what we haven't seen so much. Mm. We've seen uh, British managers do a great job. Um, Eddie Howe, of course, has been touted to go hurt further. He hasn't. Sean Dyche hasn't got that bigger move. So that's going to be an interesting thing because the way he's going right now and the football that they play and the energy and everything else is very, very impressive in the Premier League. Yeah. Well, our Premier League insider Neil Ashen said to us last week that West Ham were interested mm. in him but that Chris Wilder didn't want to leave Sheffield United mid-season. So perhaps uh, that was the case. What a year 2019 was for Liverpool. Written down on paper on a graphic, it's so impressive. Finishing second in the Premier League last season, the third highest points tally in the history of the Premier League with 97. Of course, just a few weeks later, they went on to beat Spurs and lift the Champions League. Beat Chelsea on penalties for the UEFA Super Cup. The season, this season, the beginning of it, 55 points through 19 games. This is the joint best start in top flight history, which of course goes back over 100 years. And then just a few weeks ago, they beat Flamengo to lift the FIFA Club World Cup. That was all in 2019. And those accomplishments and Liverpool's calendar year of 2019 are what we're going to be discussing in a special Thursday afternoon boot room. Before we get on to the team right now, Robbie, it's interesting to cast our minds back 10 years to the beginning of the decade that we've just ended and try and carve a path, if you like, from then to now. Talk us through that pathway. Well, it's really interesting because you see the list of, of trophies there and it's outstanding. But I think it's really important to, to do that and to think where it all started. And it's been 10 years. 2010, John Henry and Family Sports Group bought Liverpool Football Club for just under $500 million. From then on, for these 10 years, it's been a, a real model example of how to run a football club. My goodness, we see plenty of examples in the Premier League of, of not being done so. Infrastructure. Anfield's been extended, been improved. They're talking about plans for more extension to make it to 61,000. You think, and there's a training ground that's, that's almost ready as well. Hiring, hiring key personnel. Jurgen Klopp in 2015 was a key moment in this 10-year period. Edwards, Michael Edwards promoted to sporting director. Key player decisions. Philippe Coutinho... Liverpool decided when he went and what he went for, and they had to be patient on that. And then with the money from that Virgil van Dijk, patient again. They didn't get him straight away. They had to wait and didn't buy anybody else for him to come in. I mean, everything that they've done has been absolutely fantastic that gets to a point where it's, it's, you're seeing those accomplishments. And there were some people that said about Jurgen Klopp, yeah, it all looks good, but he hasn't won anything yet. It's all the winnings coming now because of the way the club has been run, set up to this point right now. I said about the valuation, Forbes' recent report says the club is worth $2.2 billion. So all the money that the family have put into this football club and the results on the field of play, they're making a ton of money for everybody else at the club. And it's, it's just, I think, a remarkable example of how to run a club. Yeah. Carl, I remember we spoke to John Henry and Tom Werner at the Fan Fest in Boston and we talked about their need to have patience because the silverware, as Robbie said, didn't come immediately. Do you think that the groundwork that Robbie talks about there to put in and the patience that they and others and the fans had to show will allow for a longer foundation, if you like, of success. Yeah, absolutely, because it, it, it's not short-termism. They didn't go buy some of the most expensive players. They didn't go get the manager that wins, but then things kind of blow up in the short term. Uh, they, they put faith in the process, and, and that's ultimately what you were talking about. And uh, it's, it's a template used successfully in other sports franchises that they own. So I, I think what's so impressive about them 
And when you speak with them, they have this humility with everything they've done in sports to say there are things they don't know. They left enough room to say we, we have to grow and understand as we own this football club. And, and they made huge calls. I mean, Brendan Rodgers, the sacking, even though it seemed like it made sense on paper, Brendan Rodgers helped set this up to, to go in this direction. Klopp was available. They made decisions. So they're very, very decisive, even though they're patient. Mm. I think the combination means that can be repeated over, over the years. Fast forward to the end of last season and what a season it was, despite the fact that they came second. As we saw on a graphic before, of course, they finished with 97 points. There it is. They would have won in a 30-game, 30 38-game season in previous years. They would have won the title on all the occasions Batu, of course, the two above them there, Manchester City. Just a few weeks later, Robbie, they went on to win the Champions League, of course, under Jurgen Klopp. That was really the beginning of the success, was actually finishing second and then yeah. not being derailed by any disappointment and lifting the European Cup. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because, because sorry, before they won the title, they were playing like champions. They were absolutely playing like champions, as City were to, to the end of last season. But the consequence of great management, of great recruitment, of steadily building a team, put them in the situation to challenge Man City last year and then put them in a situation where they can win the, the Champions League and put them in a situation right now where that continues with very little additions really in the summer to be a team that's continued the hunger, the desire that comes from the manager. But, but there's such a good team, Rebecca, and we saw that before the trophy started to come in. Well, and what's amazing, too, is... Um, and we're seeing this now. I mean, look at David Moyes being hired back at West Ham and, and, and Everton. New managers, new profiles. There, there's this knee-jerk reaction that a lot of owners have. And going for Jurgen Klopp was such an intentional decision based on so much data and watching what he did at Borussia Dortmund and knowing if you gave him time. You know, he, he went and got Mario Götze and other talented young players into the first team at Dortmund, went and found Lewandowski. All these things that he's repeated now with Bobby Firmino, who now is a household name, uh, Andrew Robertson, who no one really was after, Trent Alexander-Arnold, many wouldn't have given an opportunity to. It's a facsimile of what he did at Dortmund. And with the pressure to do it in the Premier League, and with Pep Guardiola's Manchester City ousting them in, in a spectacular fashion, them losing cup finals, there, there, there are a lot of things that other ownerships would have said, we got to do something, we got to change something. To back them this whole time and believe in the process, it ends with trophies. And we're seeing the most spectacular and sought-after trophies starting to come their way because of the discipline they've had and the belief in the process. Now, the, the stats are amazing. If you look at the last 18 months, since the end of May 2018, one defeat in 58 games, 49 victories, a ton of goals, very few conceded, and of course, 155 points. So in terms of moving forward now this season, what about this, chaps? They are on pace to not only break Man City's record of 100 points two seasons ago, but absolutely smash it to 110 points, 36 wins they're on pace for, and 19 home wins, all of which would be a record. Therefore, Kyle, my question is... I know where you're going. Invincibles are in their future. I mean, it's in their future. It could easily happen. Well, it is in that, you know, obviously it's not over the course of one season, but they've done it. They've, they've, they've done a season of games without, without facing a team that could beat them. Um, and the Invincibles covered it past a season as well. I think the difference is... Um, and this is actually a compliment. There's such, there's a lot of risk to the way they play, and 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 they give up chances. They they they, they rely on big plays to keep them in games. Uh, I I do think they're beatable, and that God, it's going to be so difficult mm. to go the rest of the season without taking a loss. But those numbers are, are, are stunning. 
absolutely stunning numbers. And they might take risks, Carl, but I tell you what, they've got some good insurance policies when they take risks. They're so well put together, so balanced. And when you think about Invincibles, I mean, the, the Arsenal Invincibles, we all remember them very well. They had a lot of draws, by the way, on the, in the running to, to make sure they secured it. This Liverpool team wins a lot of games. Sheffield United, today's game, is a real tough one, in my opinion. Now, and you can sort of think about a team like that could totally go there. It's an evening game. It's a special game for the Sheffield United as a club and for those players to play at Anfield. They could put up an incredible performance. The thing that Jurgen Klopp has done so well is that there's other games with the same kind of excitement. He has made sure his team is ready to, to, to meet fire with fire, whatever it takes, to, so they don't lose. The concentration is still there and they still win games. Of course they can do it. They've got a great chance of doing it because the squad, not just the starting 11, is so good, it's proved itself, they can, they can do it. So, I don't know if Bax is going there. Will they do it? Will, will, they, will they lose a game the rest of the season? Yes, they will not? lose a game. Yeah, I think they're going to lose a game this season. So, an 11th straight victory then for Liverpool. I mean, I could use about 10 different stats to describe their dominance. One defeat in 59 games, Kyle. What stood out to you? Anything different to normal today's victory? Well, what stood out is that it kind of doesn't matter. Last-minute injuries, Keita getting hurt in warm-ups, losing Fabinho recently, early on losing Allison. Uh, going back to Gomez with their other two center backs, it, it kind of doesn't matter what happens with this group and also who they're facing. Uh, they they bring the same irresistible spirit, but also bring a few different ways they could be. Uh, there, at times today, they played long when Sheffield United find, found their only sort of handle on the game and started to press them a little bit further up the field. They They, they just have an answer for everything at this point. And I remember last year we talked about shakiness. You know, will we see nerves creep into them as they get down the stretch? I mean, there is no signs this Liverpool has it in them to to do what would need to happen for any team to feel they have an opening to get back into this title race. I mean, it's pretty professional and... I just just look at Anfield, especially when they're there, as a place no one's going to come and get points. Robbie, any new angles of love for Liverpool you've not touched on before? My new angle of love is how they can make winning look so easy. I mean, Sheffield United are a good side. They only lost one away game in the Premier League before this one Mm -hmm. against Manchester City. They're not a bad side, yet it looked like Liverpool just didn't get into fourth gear. And yet they are, they are working hard. I mean, you, you think about how hard it is to play and score against Liverpool. The front players that press you, the midfield players that work their socks off, defenders that are really good. And then you've got Roberto Firmino and Divock Origi coming back to win balls on the edge of their own box. And it all seems not effortless because they're putting effort in, but it's so grooved, it's so, so, so much that, in their rhythm, it's comfortable. How, how does that come about? Is that all training ground? Is that ethic, work ethic? Is it a mixture of... Plus quality? It's it's definitely plus quality. The second goal is like a lovely, lovely goal. Continuity. Excuse me. Jurgen Klopp's been there a few years now, Rebecca. The players know what he wants. They know when there might be a game that they've slacken off a little bit. They don't slacken off. Good habits. That's what it is. Good habits over a period of time, plus quality, plus something special's happening, which I always think helps a team to maintain it. And they're just a joy to watch at the moment. I also think if, if you try to compare it to Manchester City, who went on and, and, and broke records and Liverpool on track to break those, um, they're not as delicate in terms of what Manchester City does and how they did it. it, it it's predicated on perfection. It, it needs to operate mm-hmm. the exact same way each time. Now, he has a few different ways that he likes to play, whether he brings the fullbacks in, Pep Guardiola or not, and keeps them wide, plays three in the back or not. But 
but what they do can fall apart. And, you know, there can be a little thread that pulls and it starts to collapse a little bit. You know, Liverpool just just shift. During the game, it might not work to go direct. It might not work with Mo Salah wide. It might not work with him centrally. Firmino might have to drop back in the middle. It's kind of whatever the game takes. Jurgen Klopp has inspired them. And I'll go back to last season when Jordan Henderson said, we came up with that short corner play ourselves. And, and, and it, it's, it's, I think, Klopp kind of took a lot himself beginning in the project. Now he's given so much responsibility to a group that knows what to do out there. And they're able to iterate and change on the fly. And today is a perfect example of, you know, right when Sheffield United started to gain a little bit of, of the game back, they just shift and they have another way to beat you. Before the game, we did a boot room on Liverpool and you both felt as wonderful as they are, they are beatable. Do you, nothing changes, you still feel at some point they will be beaten this season in the league, it, won't It's we? just so, I do, because it's so difficult. It's so difficult, unless, you know, a little bit like Arsenal back in the day, the longer it goes on, maybe they start to be a bit more cautious and try and do that. But I, I don't think they will. The Champions League is what, you know, I, I think is, is going to take their focus a little bit during that in the knockout stages in February and March. I just think it's so hard. They're probably going to lose a game, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and it will take, and, we, and we're, obviously we're implying this, it will take absolutely nothing away. <laughs> from the no. season if they are to lose a game. But I just agree with Robbie. I mean, that Invincibles team, they drew a lot of games. But it's just, that's why we still talk about them. That, yeah. that is so difficult to do in a 38-game season, especially with all the competitions these guys are in. Jürgen, you're in total control, it looked like, tonight. You passed them to death in some respects. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, um, that was the plan, actually. Um, I didn't see... A game against Sheffield United where the opponent controlled the game like we did tonight. So that was our, our plan to, to, to make their life as complicated as possible. Um, that's what we did. Scored wonderful goals, could have scored more, could have scored earlier, but the goals themselves were very um, exceptional. Um, and again, controlled it. There were two, three situations when we started getting, when we lost a little bit of concentration. But they were immediately there. That's, you see immediately what they want to do, but how we defended their wings, uh, overlapping the, the three players there, that was really really good and and kept you know, cut off pretty much a big quality of them and um, because of that it was the game was in complete control and uh, that's what we wanted and of course that means you've clocked up an entire year in the Premier League without defeat now what does that say about your team and the way that their mentality <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a lot of positive things. Uh, I'm not native, so I have not enough words for that. That's exceptional. But tonight we didn't think about a series. We didn't think about one year, 365 days or whatever. We thought really about winning this game. That was the target um, and that how it always was. The boys were 100% focused. That's the important stuff. Keep this game not spectacular. That's the plan. That you make sure that they cannot have their situations what they're waiting for. I think think Sheffield United um, was not bothered about having no possession or whatever. They're not used to that. I think they're used to winning the balls earlier. But in this game tonight, they were still there for, for the for the for the one situation to score one goal. And as long as only one nil, it's clear that this one situation can can change the game. Um, so they had some set pieces, but what can I say? It was just in all. In all positions, it was um, exceptional. So, well, really, well done. No, any New Year's resolutions then? You can set us off with. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, 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 how I said, we, our New Year starts um, uh, mid or end of May. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> so we have season resolutions, not year resolutions. We've heard now from Jurgen Klopp and from Chris Wilder, two very impressive managers. For different reasons and similar reasons, what strikes you the most of both? Now we've heard both of them today. Well, I think Jurgen Klopp, the attention to detail... 
you know, the stuff that he talked about there, that he had to make sure they, they, they stopped Sheffield United in the wide areas, they wanted to control the game. You know, he, he expects his players to be focused and concentrated every single match, and he's doing it as well. I think that's an important part of, of what you get from him is that every game is important and every detail of every game. You know, there's so many of them. It's easy, I guess, for managers to sort of like, ah, oh, Sheffield United, you know, we'll be OK. He, he studies the game, studies the opponent, and the team do the same. And Chris Wilder, you loved that interview, didn't you, before the I break? I just you thought it, it was so interesting, so passionate, so real, so honest. And he's absolutely right. There is a lot of tactical stuff that we get into at times and the technicality of players and all that. But a lot of it comes down to work ethic, comes down to guts, comes down to mentality. Every week that you're there, you're performing, you're charging up and down the field of play. And that's what he's saying. If it's good enough for this team to work up and down and be two-way players, all of them, then it's good enough for any team. I thought it was, yeah, tremendous interview. One of the best I've heard for, for a long time. Kyle? Well, I, I agree with all of that. I'm trying to think of, like, well, what's the word? There's something you feel. And it's, it's, I guess it's a bit of charisma, but it's sincerity. I, I just believe both of these managers. And, and, it's, and it's the same whether they've won or they've lost. There's, there's an ability to communicate to your players um, your intention and execute a game plan and give a really difficult interview where uh, the players will be a, a, almost appreciative that he holds them to a standard that they've set rather than come up with excuses on why mm-hmm. today didn't go well. They, mm-hmm. they didn't perform well. And I think he's as disappointed as the players will be that that was a chance for them at Anfield against Liverpool to show what they're capable I, of. I, I, I'm pleased. I felt a little bit disappointed with Sheffield United. But then I think, well, Liverpool is so good. I shouldn't be. But so it's really good to, to as you well, said. Well, he gave us permission to be disappointed in yeah, them, which is kind of a, thing, a good thing yeah, to do for your team. Because they, they were a little bit disappointing. But, of course, Liverpool are so good um, that, that you kind of expect a way team to struggle there. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. I'm Rebecca Lowe. Bye for now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.